All right, First John chapter 4, verses 1 through 6 is our text today. As you find it, I'm going to refer once more to the Super Bowl. I told you it was coming. Here it comes once more. My granddaughter, Anna, many of you know her. She asked me last Friday afternoon. I picked her up off the bus and brought her home. Her and Jasper's at the house a little bit, and they're getting something to eat. And I walked in the house, and Anna says, Papa, do you like sports? I'm thinking that's kind of an odd question because I'm always, always watching racing. I mean, that's kind of an obvious thing. So she asked me the question, and I said, well, yeah, I mean, I like sports. What? No, no, cheer is not a sport. Racing is a sport. Yeah. So anyway, we we was talking about sports, and so she said, well, yeah. So I said, I like, I like racing, so it's a sport, yeah, all so forth and so on. She says, yeah, but do you like football? I said, well, yeah, I like football. Why do you ask? She said, well, I, I like the Chiefs. I said, why do you like the Chiefs? This girl, my granddaughter, who's in sixth grade, has never watched a football game in her entire life. She knows absolutely nothing about football. So why do you like the Chiefs? Oh, our class voted today, and everybody voted the Chiefs to win. I said, well, that's not surprising. Because it seems to be everybody's favorite team is all they're talking about. Taylor Swift has got a great influence on everybody. I mean, she has changed the face of football. So here's the question as I'm thinking about that. Do you allow others, like Anna, to influence you? Or do you make up your mind for you? Or do you believe that everything you read, everything you hear is true? Now, hopefully not, but there are, I recognize, as I walk through life, I recognize there are a lot of people who hear it and read it and believe it. And thinking about that, I was thinking about that great singer, John Cougar Bellington, who back in his 80s was at his prime. Like in 1985, he had this song that repeatedly said, you have to stand for something or you will fall for anything. Great wisdom, great philosophy, right? Come John Cougar Bellington. And then I thought, well, not only did he say it, we also had country music singer Aaron Tippin to say something similar. He talked about his daddy. His daddy said, you got to stand for something or you'll fall for anything. You get to be your own man, not a puppet on the string. Never compromise what's right. So that's it. That's it. That's the message. Don't be so gullible. Don't just fall for anything. Because in a world today, it seems people do just fall for anything. Many ideas are expressed, often get printed. Some consider them truly as printed as a complete truth, an absolute truth. Several of them appear on Facebook or Twitter or any other social platform. And then people believe it because they trust the source. And it's anything but truth. So we should not believe everything we read, everything we hear. Maybe one of the great examples of this is evolution. You know, people today really buy into the theory of evolution, even taught in school. The idea originally came from Charles Darwin. You heard of this? Who wrote a book called On the Origin of Species back in 1859. <coughs> but Darwin claimed that organisms change over time as a result of changes in inheritable physical or behavioral traits. I haven't read the book and getting all this off the internet, right? Which is the true source of everything, right? 
He said, further, these changes allow an organism to better adapt to its environment and consequently to survival. He said, in short, it's like by natural selection, evolution happens by natural selection, or better known as survival defense. <coughs> in this book, Darwin provides an example of adaption to environment and ultimate survival. Now, here it is. Listen to this. You're going to like this. This is what Darwin proclaims. <coughs> His theory is this. A North American black bear, which is known to catch insects by swimming in, this, in the water with his mouth open. So picture the North American black bear swimming in the water, his mouth open to catch insects. Evolved over time, based upon his environment, and adapted to his aquatic habits to became a monstrous whale. Is that the origin of whales? Isn't that a bunch of garbage? And scientists actually call that now macroevolution. And the theory allows them for dinosaurs to be turned into birds, amphibious mammals to be turned into whales, and ancestors of apes to become humans. I hear all that, and I think it's a direct slap in the face to creation. But some people believe that. They would promote that. They would stand for that. We just shouldn't believe everything we read and everything we hear. We shouldn't be so gullible. But it also pertains to things like this. Little truths that sometimes get printed and expressed that there are many ways to heaven. People insist that John 4.16 might be a way, not the way. And maybe just one way that narrow-minded, brainwashed Christians believe. And there are actually many paths to heaven. But in thinking about that, we find in the Apostle John, that writes in his epistle, in 1 John chapter 4 particularly, when we hear things like that, we should test it. We should test these so-called truths. So John provides the insight we need to not just fall for anything, <coughs> to not be so gullible. So we're going to read today in 1 John chapter 4, verses 1 through 6, and see what the Scripture tells us about how we can be tested and not fall for anything. <coughs> Excuse me. Same with me this morning as we looked in 1 John chapter 4. And pardon me for just a, just a moment. <coughs> All right, 1 John chapter 4, <coughs> starting verse 1. It might be all right. It might not. First John chapter 4, verse 1. <clears throat> Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God. For many false prophets have gone out into the world. By this you know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses Jesus Christ has come in flesh is from God. And every spirit that does not Confess Jesus is not from God. <clears throat> this is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you heard was coming, and now is in the world already. Little children, you are from God and have overcome them. For he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. They are from the world, therefore they speak from the world, and the world listens to them. 
we are from God. Whoever knows God listens to us. Whoever is not from God does not listen to us. By this we know the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. Well, Father, Lord, we thank you for your reading today. We ask, Lord, that you'll speak to us as we get into an understanding of how we should test the truth, Lord, that some people call the truth into this world. We pray, Lord, your spirit would lead and guide and direct us now that we would listen and see how maybe this pertains to our modern day as there's many false prophets, many false teachings that exist today, Lord. So let's turn our attention now to hear your word, the word you have, Lord, only your word. Let us even then test this word, the truth, which is the word of God. Lead now, Lord, to direct and let us follow. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. <clears throat> well, perhaps I should mention first in these verses that John is returning to an argument he made earlier in the chapter, particularly chapter 2, verses 18 through 27, in which he is attacking the false prophets and their teachings of his particular day. Now, in his particular day, that was known as the Gnostics. So I'm not sure if I ever have really talked to you before about Gnosticism and past messages, but if I have or haven't, then let me just kind of give you a little information pertaining to Gnosticism, because first and foremost, it comes from the Greek word gnosis, which means knowledge. So Gnosticism then is this. It holds the belief that all physical matter is evil, that the spirit is good. That the only intellectually enlightened could enjoy the benefits of religion. Along with all that teaching, then they also insist that Jesus was not fully human. It, it sounds pretty radical in our time, but many people at that particular day would believe this, particularly young Christians that John is writing to. So, at the core then of Gnosticism is the idea that salvation was only available through a superior secret knowledge that was given to ones called the initiated. So John then having to deal with this in his particular day is confronting then these false teachings. I mean, John supposedly at this particular moment, and it's highly likely then the only one who's remaining of the original disciples, he's the only one perhaps of the church that he's writing to who has actually seen the risen Lord and has been with Jesus. So he is an authoritative subject on the matter. So he's, he's writing then to his audience, which is composed mostly of young, immature Christians. It seems like their parents who started the church, who knew Jesus, kind of passed on. So they got a younger generation who is present in the church, and they're following for some of this false teaching. So John, being aware of that, is telling them in this letter, particularly chapter 4, to test the spirits. To test the teaching that you're hearing and listening to. I mean, he's really saying, in essence, don't be so gullible and so quick to abandon what you know as truth to what you were taught. So go back to the beginning in verse 1 of this chapter. Notice how John starts then this segment of letter really in a direct manner. He, he gets into the beginning and says, do not believe. He, he kind of rebukes the false teaching that's being handed down to this young Christian audience by letting them know not to believe everything you hear. Not to believe every spirit, but to try to test the spirits to see if it's true. To see if they are from God. Now we're going to call a quick time out now to make sure you see the word spirits being used here. 
and maybe not the same context we're originally or sometimes hearing the Spirit use. The Spirit here is not referring in this particular moment, in this instance, to the human soul of the body. It's referring really to the disposition or influence which fills and governs the soul of anyone, like the doctrine and teaching. That's really what it's referring to, more doctrine and teaching, not the, not the test and the, those doctrine and teaching that you're hearing from other people. Again, his day, from the Gnostics. So John is simply saying this then, Christians, he's saying you young Christians, and Christians in general today still are not to believe every teacher that comes down the pipe. Because not all are preaching and confessing really the Word of God. So because that is true, you should, everything should be tried and tested. Tried and tested according to its source. And the only source for consideration to test what you're hearing is against God's holy word. So test everything you're hearing to God's word. So to notice here and observe that the Greek word test, the word test is being used here over and over again, test, test everything, test this. So test is what was commonly used for testing the metals back in that day to see if they were genuine. So the application then, what John is saying here is that we are to test anything. Test anything and everything you hear, you read, and test it to the source of truth. The only source of truth is the Word of God. Test everything you hear, everything you read, anything and everything to the source, which is the Word of God, to see if it truly is reliable and honest and genuine. Test everything and anything you hear, or did you read? Now, I said that before to an audience, and I got the question back, well, does that mean that I should test your message today? Does that mean you should test every sermon message I hear, or even a seminary professor, or one who's an authority on the subject, like scholars of John MacArthur and David Jeremiah and others? Should I, should I test all these people? The answer actually is yes. You should always test things to ensure that it lines up with the scriptures. Because testing is how we go about determining if something is real and genuine and honest and authentic. And because, as John mentions here, we should certainly test because many false prophets and false teachings are in our midst. Like the end of verse 1 says, we test because many false prophets have gone out into the world. We test because many false prophets have gone into the world. Now hearing that, we should also say this. That really shouldn't surprise us. To know there's false teaching, false prophets in that world today, or in this world that we're living in now, really shouldn't surprise us. Because throughout the Bible, in church history, you can find that people have been dealing with false prophets. It's been over and over and over again. In the Old Testament, God actually gave specific instructions for what to do to false teaching prophets. You know what he told them to do? To stone them. So maybe, thinking out loud, maybe we should go back to that same practice today. Because there's many false prophets and teachers today. Case in point, Mormonism. 
Joseph Smith has supposedly received a revelation that he has seen God the Father and Jesus and received additional insight and wrote the Book of Mormon. I've may have shared some of those with you before, or it's maybe a new insight. But there was a lady I had in Texas one time in the church who was gratefully fearful, gratefully feared that her grandson was being gravitated and influenced by her his friend who was a Mormon. Like most teenagers, he was influenced by his friends and his peers. And unfortunately, then the young man began to gravitate to what the friend was teaching him and talking to him about with the teachings of the Book of Mormon. And then she came to me, greatly concerned about her grandson. But she also came because she knew very little about the Mormon doctrine. So I gave her a book that I had on the shelf in the office about Mormonism that unfortunately only intensified her fears. Because if you're not familiar with it, let me give you a snippet of what Mormonism teaches. First of all, they believe the pantheon of gods exists. And God was once a man. And Jesus, you're going to like this one, before his incarnation, he was created a being and the brother of Lucifer. It sounds like I'm making this up. But Mormons, a lot of Mormons, actually believe that Jesus was a brother of Satan. And that God the Father, Jesus was separate from physical beings. They believe the president of the church is a prophet of God. They believe the families can be bound together eternally with couples who seal their marriage in the temple. They believe that Jesus was born of Mary, his mother. So do we, right? But he was not conceived by either Joseph or the Holy Spirit. But rather, Heavenly Father, a God of flesh and bone, has sexual relations with Mary and Jesus was conceived. They also believe that Jesus was a husband of both Martha and Mary and had children by all his wives. Or if they don't believe that one, they believe that he was married to a goddess wife and had children. They also believe that children are incapable of sin and need not be baptized until eight years of age. Mormons can baptize dead people. There's no original sin. One is punished for one's own sin which is sin, but even include drinking caffeine. I have sinned greatly. So those are some of the things pertaining to Mormon doctrine. People gravitate to this. I present to you that some of the trash being taught to young adults today are being influenced by what they're hearing. It seems pretty disturbing, but here's the thing. Lifeway research reveals that 64% of us professing Christians believe that God accepts all these other religions. 64% of professing Christians believe that God accepts all these other forms of religions, that Jesus may not be the only way. So hearing all that, we understand how we need them to convey not only the truth that we know to be absolute according to the glory of God but to older young people because many are fallen victims to this they fall to the false teaching of the world another example I'll share with you I mean it's amazing how 
intellectual people actually still fall for some of this stuff. The, the teaching of David Koresh, now you, you may or may not know who David Koresh was. He was the head of a, what's called the Branch Davidians, a, sect, a religious sect that was actually based in Waco, Texas. They're kind of an offshoot of the Seventh-day Adventists. And Koresh didn't claim to be its final prophet. He had apocalyptic Bible teachings, including interpretations of the book of Revelation and the seven seals, and he would preach all this different stuff, proclaim it loudly, and have many, many, many followers. But the followers he had was highly intellectual people, great successful businessmen, college professors, some even from seminary, and many more people. I mean, they're just people who had knowledge and intellect that we would look upon, follow David Koresh. And I say that because it's truly amazing uh, people of high intellect that fall for such garbage and trash. So to avoid the false doctrine or just anything that we hear, John is telling us then we need to test. Test the spirits, test the teaching. Like he had his issue in his day of Gnostics. We have similar issues today of other religions. So he, he's, he's proclaiming, he's, he's actually sending a message to these young Christians, you've got to test what you hear. You can't just be gullible and just fall for anything. You have to test what you hear and test it to the Word of God. You know to be true. Test it. And, and so he's sending this message, and he doesn't just send the message and lay it out there. He actually tells them three things then what you can test the spirits for. And here they are. Number one, he says, do they, these false teachers, these people proclaiming what they know, do they confess the divine Lord? Notice in verse 2, that John states that you know the Spirit of God. Now that's true for every born-again believer. That the Holy Spirit rests and dwells upon the person who professes Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior at the time of conversion. I mean, it's been poured into your heart. And it really gives you an ability of discernment that's not understood by non-believers. I mean, the Holy Spirit residing in us gives us kind of an innate ability to know if something is true or something really is from God. The Holy Spirit leads us to actually have that capacity to have that discernment. But unfortunately, sometimes we fail to recognize the Holy Spirit in this tell us to believe not. You're hearing this, but don't believe it. Or, or sometimes we fail to recognize the Holy Spirit telling us nothing involved with this person or this group. Or sometimes we just ignore what the Spirit may be telling us. And listen anyway. But the Holy Spirit can lead and guide you and direct you at, to the source of what you hear. As to whether it's true. We just have to listen to the Spirit. Because we have an innate ability within us to know from the Spirit of something from God. I think I shared with you before that it's been many years ago when I was living in Mississippi there was a young man who come to me that wanted to take us on, the, on a deer hunting trip. I mean, he's a plant manager at that time for Tyson Foods. One of the perks, really, of being a plant manager is the fact that you get these invitations from time to time to go on trips like this. And I was kind of excited about going on the trip, but at the same time, not overly excited because I knew I would be going with a group of people who were not kind of Christian. They were just like businessmen and people who just like to go and have fun and do stuff I wasn't interested in. But at the same time, 
I just love the hunt, so I really wanted to go. So the trip was to Kentucky. We live in Mississippi, so we made the trip to Kentucky. And, of course, during the trip, then I had a, a fortune, fortune to be able to shoot one of the deer. And during the evening, then, was one particular fellow named Philip. One, one guy named Philip come to me and said, Kurt, you mind if I skin your deer? Well, I don't mind at all, dude. Go right ahead. So we went out to where we were going to scan the deer. I was with him. And I didn't realize at the time that he was using that as a tool to witness to people. Because he also knew then that he was on this trip. He was a Christian. I was a Christian, although he didn't know at the time. But he would use it as a way to witness to someone. So when he got ready to skin somebody's deer, he was going to witness it at the same time. So while we were standing there together, he began to witness. And I was agreeing with him, going around along with everything. And he stopped all of a sudden and said, you're a Christian, aren't you? I said, yes, why? It's why I knew it. The Holy Spirit told me. I mean, the point of that is the Holy Spirit will lead you and guide you and tell you certain things. We just have to listen. I mean, the Spirit will tell us we're in the wrong place. Or the Spirit will tell us we're with the wrong people. Or they will tell us when we're listening and considering something that's false teaching, false doctrine. We just have to listen. But too many times we would be guilty of ignoring it. So John is reminding us and reminding these early believers and playing a thought in their mind that, hey, and what people are teaching you, does it line up with the word? I mean, test it. Do they confess the divine Lord? As one commentary has really kind of worded it, he said, genuine knowledge of Christian experience does not arise from within without the supernatural origin of the Holy Spirit. We should trust the Holy Spirit when it speaks to you of anything false that we're listening to or reading. And we feel a sense then that the false teaching, the false teachers, we need to ask, is it really according to the Scripture? Do they confess the truth about Jesus? Is this teaching what I know to be true about Jesus? And if we get the sense that it is, it's an avoidance. Just steer away from it. Now, I have to add this then. As we get ready to test what we know about Jesus, it requires this. A critical step in the entire process to know, is this teaching what I know about Jesus requires that we know the word and we know the truth about Jesus. Maybe that's pointing out the obvious. But to be able to test the spirit or test the teaching according to what we hear in the word or what is in the word requires we know the word and the truth about Jesus. And that observation that kind of points us to maybe why we're here partly. I mean, we're not here, obviously, to just learn about the Word of God. But we are here partly to learn about the Word of God. I mean, we're here also, obviously, to fellowship and to worship together and to give honor and glory and praise to Jesus, right? I mean, that's why we're here. I mean, He deserves all that. But at the same time, we also should come to learn truth. And as we learn truth, it becomes our responsibility then to convey and teach that to younger generations and to even adults who may not completely know truth or maybe know something they know nothing about. Last week's message, you may remember, was what's in the name. And many don't fully understand the name of Jesus even today. They have heard it. They have not received the word often enough, particularly at home, to understand what the name Jesus is. They may not even understand that they have to be saved. 
Now, fortunately, we have people here who can guide young Christians when they come in, or young adults when they come in, or people who, who have this misunderstanding. It's kind of why we have Wednesday Bible studies and Sunday school. And they're set up in a way to structure things to be able to learn. Because we have young people coming at times, and even new adults, who don't fully understand the Word of God or of Jesus and His name. So it's important that we understand it and we test it to make sure we can convey it then to other people when they come in to give them truth. Because many people today are falling for what's called universalism. In case you've not heard of universalism, it is basically this. It teaches it is impossible that a loving God would only allow a portion of mankind to be saved and arrest to eternal punishment. Which means they would believe that everybody, God loves everybody, and everybody's going to heaven. Which is not true. So we must understand the word. We must understand the truth of Jesus and convey that. And test the spirit, test the teaching when it contradicts. Paul reminds us it'll be a time when people will no longer seek the truth. In 2 Timothy chapter 2, or chapter 4, he says, Preach the word, be ready in season and out of season. Convince, rebuke, exhort with all strong suffering and teaching. For the time will come when they will no longer endure sound doctrine, but according to their own desires, because they have itching ears, they will heap up for themselves teachers, they will turn their ears away from truth, and be turned aside to fables. I'm afraid this is where we are today. We're there. And because we're there, we need to heed the message and not overlook what John is saying here. To test the spirit, to test the teaching. And notice as he tells the test it, notice how he identifies or, or labels those who deceive with false truth. But in verse 3, he says, Every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you heard was coming and now is already in the world. Yes, Satan's in the world. Satan's in the church. He's trying to deceive many. They can deceive many by false teaching and false prophets. So John tells us then that there's a test. There's a test. Do they confess the divine Lord? But he offers a second test. It's to do they possess the divine life? As Christians, we must recognize that our life comes from God. John points to the truth when he says in verse 4, little children, you're from God. And because we are as children, both old and young, we have to overcome the world. We have overcome the world. I love the expression in verse 4. You go back and look at that particular verse. It says, greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. Greater is he that is in you than he is in the world. Well, I like to listen to contemporary Christian music. I listen to Caleb all the time when I'm on a bus or traveling to different places. And I immediately think of the band Mercy Me, who has a song called Greater. And here's what it says. I hear a voice. He calls me redeemed. When others say I'm not enough, when others say I'll never be enough, greater is the one living inside of me than he who's living in the world. But later on in the song, it says there'll be days I lose the battle. Grace says it doesn't matter because the cross has already won the war. Again, greater is the one living inside of me than he who is living in the world. I love the song because it reminds us that is greater is he who's living in us. Jesus, then the prince of the world, Satan. And we've overcome because of the cross. 
We overcome because we are His children. Because He is greater, God is greater, Jesus is greater than one in the world. So here's the point. The prince of the world we know is Satan. But God always has been, always will be greater than the prince of the world, Satan. He does not win. He is not victorious. So we can connect all this together, and, and then the question here is, do they possess divine life? Because every false teacher is going to tell you, yes, they do. They're going to make the claim to you, they are from God. They're going to make that claim to you, kind of steal your heart, and to take your money. So John is saying here in verses 4, 1 through 6 that God is not their source. This is the Antichrist. Satan is their source. So he points us here to that the Holy Spirit within us has given us the ability because he's greater than Satan to be able to know whether it's true or whether it's not. You're able to overcome false teachers and false doctrine because the Holy Spirit can lead you and tell you that. That's the second test. The third test is this then. Do they possess the divine truth? Notice in verse 5, we kept saying that over and over again, John used the word they, referring directly to the false teachers and false prophets. And clearly says they are not from the world. I mean, they are not from the uh, from Christ, they are from the world. Which completely supports their statement earlier, they made a claim to be from God, but they're not. They're from the deceiver, they're from Satan. Again, the message tells us and just emphasizes it must always test any sermon, any message, any teaching, any seminar, any scholar, any commentary. Test all that, everything you always hear to the Word of God. Make sure it lines up. Do they possess the divine truth? Make sure it lines up. It may be a little conjecture. It may be a little speculative. It may mean opinion. It's just that then. Make sure it lines up with the Word of God. Dr. David Allen, a seminary professor, suggests that we should always ask ourselves when reading so-called Christian books or hearing certain preachers on TV or radio, he said, ask yourself, are they declaring the Bible and the Bible alone as the Word? And ask yourself, are they interpreting it with the framework of Orthodox Christianity, or are they twisting it and distorting this message? Dr. Allen says that John here, in this text we're looking at today, John says that those who know God will hear, that is, listen to, those who are true gospel preachers. But those who do not know God will not listen to true gospel preaching. This really kind of goes back to the same thing Paul had mentioned to Timothy, how there'll be a day when they turn themselves away from the truth and entertain anything to their itching ears. Maybe the bottom line, then, of what I'm trying to say this morning is this. Unfortunately, today, maybe even more so than the day that John is writing this, there's an increase of false teaching in the world. Many so-called religions exist. And it's disturbing to know that 64% of Christians believe that God accepts all these other religions. And because that is true, then we have to live purposely studying and learning the Word. And then likewise, as we study and learn it, we must convey then the Word of His truth to people we know and love. John had to deal with the people in his day and with the Gnostics, and we've got to deal with so many more of them today. 
We can't just sit idly by. We have to know truth. We have to proclaim it. We have to test everything we hear according to the scriptures and then rebuke and exhort and correct any heresy we hear. So then John just simply provides us the text which he emphasizes the importance of correcting and rebuking. Here's a summary of what John is saying. He says, you must test the teaching you hear as to whether it comes from God or not. Even anything I proclaim to you, always test it. Whether it acknowledges Jesus came to earth in human form and whether the world of unsafe people listen to it. You have to test everything. If you test everything, you prevail over false teachers. We have the ability to prevail over false teachers. We should not be so gullible. We cannot believe everything we read can't believe everything we hear. There is a lot of opinion. It's time times it's just that. I'm going to leave you with this. It's called Don't Believe Everything You Hear. It's directly from Eugene Peterson's The Message. Here's how he captures these six verses we've been talking about this morning. He said, my dear friends, don't believe everything you hear. Carefully weigh and examine what people tell you. Now, everyone who talks about God comes from God. There are a lot of lying preachers loose in this world. Here's how you test for the genuine spirit of God. Everyone who confesses openly his faith in Jesus Christ, the Son of God, who came as an actual flesh and blood person, comes from God and belongs to God. And everyone who refuses to confess faith in Jesus has nothing common with God. This is the spirit of Antichrist that you heard was coming. Well, here it is, sooner than we thought. My dear children, when you come from God and belong to God, you have already won a big victory over those false teachers. For the spirit in you is far stronger than anything in the world. These people belong to Christ denying them. They talk the world's language, and the world eats it up. But we come from God and belong to God. Anyone who knows God understands us and listens. The person who has nothing to do with God will, of course, not listen to us. This is the test for telling the spirit of truth from the spirit of deception. I like the way kind of Eugene Peterson words some of that in the verses that Paul's ta- or John is talking about here. But it tells us then simply to make sure that we are aware that false teachers do exist. And there's abundance of false teaching in the world today. So make sure you test everything you have according to the Word of God because this is, without a doubt, the only absolute truth in this world today, the Word of God. Father, Lord, we thank you for this message today, Lord. We thank you for the teaching it provides for us. It provides, it, we thank you for the insight it also gives to us of how we need to not just be gullible and just fall for anything, but how we need to test everything we hear everything we read according to the Word of God. So Lord, I pray again for all of us today as we leave here to, to, to want to, to learn truth and to, to want to know more about Jesus so that we can also convey that truth to others. Lord, we are your church. It is our responsibility to learn and to teach and instruct and to correct and rebuke. So Lord, give us the ability to do so here today. We thank you for your word today. We thank you always for Jesus. In his name we pray. Amen.